Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 26. I'm Michael John Simpson. Once again, I'm joined by friend of the podcast, Kitty Brown, who pitches in as co-host. Our guest is costume designer and founder of Cape and Cal Creations, Abby Polacco. Kitty and I spoke with Abby about cosplay and costume design, photography, female model empowerment, feminism, leaked versus released celebrity nudes, X-Men, diversity in cosplay, nerd entitlement and nerd rage, social impact on media trends, The Walking Dead, Cassandra Kane Batgirl, spoiler, cosplay advice, Power Girl, Harley Quinn, Catwoman, moving on from costume design, homemade cosplay, media costumes versus cosplay, Ariel Silk, the 12th Doctor costume, and diversity in genre media. To the bat poles! Here's episode 26 of the Something Something Experience. Yeah. Fat and sassy. <laughs> As always. <laughs> so go ahead and scoot in on there on the mic a little bit. There you go. Okay. Great. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, well, so tell us about yourself. Um, you do. I, uh, Kitty just introduced us on Facebook, and I and I looked at your cosplay uh, kind of business fan page on Facebook and loved everything I saw and um, thought it was all really really well done and um, and um, uh, the the way that that your work um, it's really uh, uh, all the all everybody in, in, in all of your your work looks really powerful and, and confident and it just it was really inspiring thank you yeah it's uh yeah it's really it's really fun to have the job of dressing people up as characters that they look up to and admire and want to be and feel empowered by. Sure. And um, as as one of the camera people put it, um, oh, your job is to make people's dreams come true. And um, it's kind of nice. It's kind of like that. That's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it is so much fun because then we go and we do a photo shoot, which a lot of these people have never done before. Oh, although sure, sure. Some of them have. Because a lot of my customers are models, but a lot of them are not. And they get in front of a camera, and at first they're nervous, but it, we always just have fun with it. And they're yeah. like, come on, yeah. you're going to conquer the world. And they're like, Rah! and you know, And so they come out looking and feeling really empowered in the pictures. And that's great fun. Oh, yeah. Great fun I, to I, When I did photography, I kind of special had a specialty thing where I worked with first-time models a lot. A lot of the models that I that I worked with, I would just people I met on the street or in a coffee shop, or said, "Wow, I really like your work. I like your tattoo art. Have you thought about modeling and hand someone a business card?" And oh, I've never modeled before. So that's okay. I, I work with first time models all the time, and it's yeah. it's always just very. You just kind of get into this this rhythm of being able to make people feel at ease with themselves and people feel feel powerful and confident. And then mm-hmm. also when I direct people in when I'm doing photography. When I direct models, I kind of take them to an emotional place. I, I, I direct them emotionally rather than physically, and I, I find that the that the physical comes from the emotional in that in a lot of the regards, especially with someone who's not used to modeling. So I work with experienced models, and you can say just do this, and they know how yeah. to do that. They know how to go to that emotional place yeah, to kind do. of make that certain face or do that certain pose. But I clearly need to work with you because we never went quite that far. I mean, we were mainly just having fun. And I don't really know how to direct people. Mm-hmm. I would just say, you know, put your leg here. I would occasionally say something. You know, if we run out of poses, I would say, give me a Captain Morgan. And they'd be like, what now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Come on, put your leg up on something and, you know, oh, yeah. And then they get into it. And then, you know, 
there's a couple of poses that bring the feeling. But um, yeah, we, we need to do some projects together. Cool, yeah, I, but I would love to do it's that. It's going yeah. to be a little while because I'm actually I've actually retired from Cape and Cowl officially. Mm. Now I've passed it on to a lovely individual called Melissa, who um, also has her own thing going on, which is how I know she's going to handle Cape and Cowl just great because she has her own passions and her own thing. I did introduce her to the world of cosplay. And she's now combining that with the things that she's passionate about, which is just great. And I know she's going to be wonderful. And she's already doing wonderfully great work for me. Cool. Having done a photo shoot with you, Michael, mm-hmm. like previously, one thing that I really appreciate about you as a photographer is you never once came across as creepy. Like oh. that's something, you know, like as a woman who's done like, you know, cosplay and done like a little teensy bit of modeling sorta of, kinda. Like there's some photographers who just, you know, like they have that creepy vibe and it's like, I'm not gonna open up for you, this is not fun, like nobody's getting anything out of it. But you always made me feel so comfortable and so empowered and so sure, like sure. I can't recommend you enough Abby like you need to work with him he's a great photographer yeah thanks <laughs> yeah. yeah um as a as a dude as a guy as a as a straight cis male who likes women who who lusts after women um being able to it is a balance and it, it, it is I mean and I, I can't I can't lie and say oh yes it's purely 100% artistic and I, yeah. I, I am Come completely on. neutral no I mean it's sexy as fuck and and yeah. and Having a woman like be naked in front of me and taking pictures of her and seeing her raw power and beauty and everything come out is one of the great things ever, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah, it, it is. It's sexy as fuck, and, and it is a turn on, and I, it is a, it, it is erotic. And yeah. um, but there's a way to deal with people, and in you're sharing that experience in an erotic situation while maintaining this. Um, it's all kind of in the bubble of an artistic uh, yeah. setting, you know. Well, you know, you're maintaining your professionalism. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, I mean, people think that it's what you say, and it's not. It's really, like, you can tell someone that they are sexy without hitting on them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you can tell them that they're sexy in a way that is not creepy and, right. you know. And, and it just comes from where you're really coming from. Right. Um, wow, I'm not articulate today. But um, <laughs> I, I went to this seminar. This has very little to do with cosplay. I went to this seminar in which uh, it was a personal development situation in mm-hmm. which I and a group of other women were assigned to impersonate Madonna okay, as accurately as possible and perform. And we did it and it got really, there was some stripping that happened in the performance, and but it, it was really fantastic and empowering. And afterward, one of the guys from the group who had been watching us perform came up to us and said, that was an amazing performance. And normally when I see women, you know, stripping and wearing sexy clothing and things, you know, it's arousing and stuff. And this was different because I was so much more focused on how empowered you all were at that moment. Like, yes, you're sexy and yes, you know, you all look great, but all of you were clearly having fun and discovering your own power. And I've never seen anything like that. Right. And that was just a whole other thing. That's great. That uh, I wish I wish we heard that more in the cosplay world. Sure. Yeah, I think people really need to just get it through their heads that cosplay is not consent the same way clothing is not consent the yeah. same or way lack like, of clothing is not consent. Yeah, mm-hmm. the same way you shouldn't be like slut shaming or judging anyone. You know, it's it's clothes that isn't you know like a free-for-all to, like, touch someone or be a creeper or do anything inappropriate. Like, it's just clothing, and I don't understand what is so hard to comprehend about that. Yeah. Well, I, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a there's a very long history in the world, not just in America, but in the world of of men being taught from day one that they are entitled to women and right and, 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 and entitled and, to female and, bodies. Right, and we're 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 you know slowly we're crawling our way out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was I was thinking about about things like Playboy magazine because when I was four, five, six, I mean Playboy was everywhere in the seventies. I grew up in the seventies. I'm old, um, uh, but <laughs> the Playboy was everywhere. It was on TV. It was on, you know, there were there were live from the grotto at, at Playboy Mansion specials on network TV and oh, blah, wow. blah, blah, and things like that. And it was everywhere in the news and it was everywhere in in movies and it was showing up everywhere and it was this thing and, and it was, it became this thing of, of one kind of thing, of that old school kind of like, you know, men versus women and men are one thing and women are another thing and men, successful men are one thing and, and women are another thing. And, and it kind of changed and evolved. There was a big feminist backlash in the seventies against second Playboy. Second wave feminism. Yeah, second mm-hmm. wave feminism in the seventies against Playboy and blah 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 blah. And after Hef kind of stepped down and his daughter took over the the magazine, and they closed all the Playboy clubs and things. Like, mm-hmm. The thing the the shift started to fo- the focus started to shift a bit away from the you know women or men's playthings and. You can still be a successful guy who's into gadgets and cars and things and still be into women and still be into sex, but you don't have to be a troglodyte about it. Right. And even Playboy put out an article about not catcalling women. Yeah. You know, that was eight amazing. months ago, something like that. Nice. And so, you know, it, it has come a long way. And, and I, and I, you know, growing up, hearing both sides of it, hearing the guys, oh, yeah, sexy women, blah, 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 and then hearing women, oh, it's a sexist and they're treating us like objects and it's garbage and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, Hearing both, I was always kind of a place right in the middle. It's like, yes, I found women's bodies sexy, and I found women sexy and powerful and all that. And but at the same time, if a woman is choosing and getting paid to be in a magazine and and strip off and 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 be in a powerful in a photo shoot that makes her feel sexy and powerful, then where's the harm in that? It's right. just like it's yeah. the same thing with like feminism and the house the the, the notion of the housewife. It's if all a about woman, it, it, well, it's it also is. about personal power, mm-hmm. and if it's about a woman. If a woman can can be whatever she wants, she can be a president of a of CEO of a company, an astronaut or whatever, or mm-hmm. she can be a housewife and still right. be a powerful yeah. individual. Whenever know? I'm like talking to people about what feminism actually is, because there's so much yeah. like uh, stereotypes, you know, mm-hmm. all feminists mm-hmm. are like these hairy, like bull dyke lesbians who hate men, and that's absolutely not feminism. You know, I just tell them feminism is about choice. It's about, like you said, the choice to be a housewife or a powerful businesswoman, the choice to, like, wear heels or wear, like, big black boots, or the choice to, you know, pose nude or to, you know, like, wear a hijab or something, you know, whatever you want. It's about having those choices and Mm -hmm. opening up those options for women. And I think a lot of people miss that in discussions of feminism. Um, So if somebody is choosing, like, if they're consenting to nude pictures, like, have at it. That's awesome. If that's what floats your boat, go for it. It's like the difference between the leaked nudes and, you know, the nudes that Jennifer Lawrence just put out. Like, I didn't go looking for Jennifer Lawrence's leaked nudes because I'm not a creep. And, you know, she didn't give those to the public at large. There was no release form signed for those. Yeah, yeah. But the nudes of her with the snake and the stuff they put in Vanity Fair, they were exquisite, and she Mm -hmm. signed a release for those. She she released those. Yeah, exactly. She gave those to us. She consented to those, whereas the other ones, those were some for some one very specific not the public at large like yeah. those were not for us but those the were private ones those are for us 
and I thoroughly enjoyed them. Oh, and yeah. she looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Lord love Jennifer Lawrence for releasing those because they were fantastic. I yeah, mean, <laughs> I was back to back to your your work, um, Abby. Um, I have to say, as a dude, a mm-hmm. lot of your work, a lot of the cosplay, and a lot of the photography stuff um, that of, of your work, it definitely hits that hits the lizard the old lizard brain for me. I mean, it definitely was like, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it really super sexy, super powerful. Yeah. But and every single one of those women. In those pictures, in whatever along the range of clothed or not clothed they are, mm-hmm. every once in, every single one of them has that radi- power radiating from them, and it's a really good yeah. thing to see. It's it's one of the things that's great about cosplay is that we get to dig into a realm, the realm of of the world of comics and beyond, you know, video games and shows and movies mm-hmm. and everything, um, that gives us a really really wonderful stock of female characters. And I don't want to say powerful female characters because it's becoming such a trite thing to say. Sure, sure. But it gives us some really early examples of the importance of choice in in lifestyle and feminism and sexuality and things. Like uh, one of my favorites who I've been blessed to make two different versions of her costume was Emma Frost, mm-hmm. who um, is one of my favorite all-around characters from comics just because... She walks around in these very sexy outfits, and she does not care what anyone thinks about it. Mm-hmm. And she's not doing it for attention, and she's not doing it to catch a man, because God knows she doesn't need the help. Right, right. <laughs> and, and she's just like, what? <laughs> yes. Yes, and... I am dressed this way. Do you have a point to make? Yeah. You know? And I love that about her, and, uh, and I'm waiting for the world to catch up. Excellent. Still. X-Men has always been one of my favorites because, like, the cast is so diverse across the board in terms of gender, in terms of race, in terms of lifestyle. Like, a lot of people miss really subtle things. Like, Kitty Pride, Shadowcat, is Jewish, and she's very Jewish. When they killed off her boyfriend Colossus, like, she did all the Jewish mourning rituals. Um, And in Days of Future Past the comic, she's the one who goes back because that whole thing is an allegory for the Holocaust, and she's Jewish. You also have... Uh, Storm, who, you know, is, like, one of the most powerful X-Men. Like, I feel like Storm is the one that they call in where it's like, okay, you guys, like, I'm done fighting. Can we just go home now? Like, somebody gets Storm to, like, electrocute these Sentinels. Like, I just want to go home, you know? But she's a black woman, you know? And, like, nobody cares because she's super powerful and it's not even an issue. Like, Mm -hmm. so, so many great characters in X-Men. Like, it's one of my first comic book loves. Yeah. Yeah, I want to make all the X-Men eventually Mm -hmm. as costumes, which means it's going to take forever because I'm no longer doing it. Um, (laughs) If you could be uh, any one of the X-Men, which one would you be? Oh, Rogue. Awesome. Totally. Best answer. Totally. (laughs) Um, The thing that's neat about Rogue is her um, her power is really is really close to experiences that a lot of people have in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, she has the thing where she literally can't touch anyone, mm-hmm. and and that's a huge, huge. You know, it's great because she's a fantastically powerful character. Yeah, but it's also it's a double edged sword, and she it's as much a problem for her as it is a power. And even though all of the X-Men face that, oh, we're mutants and there's that discrimination and there's that thing going on, she has a whole other dimension to it that nobody else really has, mm-hmm. which is, oh, this makes relationships 
very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but she she works and, you know, she finds ways around it and she's she's committed to being healthy, you know, that way mm-hmm. as much as possible. But I can really relate to her in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I love Rogue. And it helps that she has one of few female brown-haired characters that yeah. I can yeah. dress up as. Um, that's a whole other thing in cosplay. And there's, there's really nothing about the cosplay world that isn't seen in the world, mm-hmm. whether you're into cosplay or not. There's, there's racism, I'm sad to say. Oh, of course. <laughs> in cosplay. Yeah. But it comes out in, like, well, you can't dress up as a character that you don't resemble. Which you know? is ridiculous. One of the best of Sailor Venus cosplayers I've ever seen was this gorgeous black girl. Like, oh my god, her costume was perfect. Like, everything was on point. Her poses yeah. and stuff like that. And I saw a lot of people on Tumblr praising her for just, like, the level of accuracy and the craftsmanship of her costume. But then, you know, there's always some, like, neckbeard or some asshole who's like, she can't do Sailor Venus because she's black. And it's like, just shut up. You are not yeah. welcome here. Just yeah. go away. But yeah. but what's interesting is that in the cosplay world, it's beyond racist, and it's it's something else. It's something mm-hmm. about. I think it's more connected to people's desires because you can also get a lot of hate, and I know this for being a dark-haired woman and dressing up as a character who's blonde, which is Ooh. weird because that's not a racist issue. That's well, you're, something you're, else. You're encroaching on. You're 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 being heretical about the fantasy. I think also it hits mm. on in their, you know, in the in the troglodytes mind. It's, but yeah. it's more than that. It's like if you're if you're somebody who is really looking for a blonde character, I feel like there's an element of I I deserve the satisfaction that I get from looking at a blonde woman, mm. and you miss are depriving me of that satisfaction. Mm. How dare you? Mm. And there's there's because a degree it's all of about them and their boners. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all about yeah, and, and that that's where it comes, the psychology yeah. of it is is for the longest time nerds struggled because they were the outcasts and the things that they like were dumb and stupid and you yeah. like you like kitty things and and you like you know stuff for kids and and you're still reading comic books and watching cartoons and you're stupid and <laughs> and now now it's come into the forefront and so mm-hmm. now the power thing has switched and especially with the internet where it's easy to be an asshole anonymously oh yeah it's made this 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 nerd rage this this never ending well of rage burst forth and people are now because nerd culture is in the forefront, they feel like they are now empowered and they are now empowered to tell everyone else how wrong they are. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's a thing that it's, it's a cycle Mm -hmm. and it's what we're going through right now. And eventually, I mean, I'm, I've already had conversations with other people about that. It's like, what's going to happen? 10, you know, Marvel and DC have their plans out for the next 10, 15 years of movies. Right. But what happens when people are dumb or are sick of comic book movies? The culture is going to change. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, right now we've got nerds and hipsters. Where's, you know, what's going to be the next thing that's going to like, you know, in the next 10 years, I mean, we're, we're halfway through this decade and Mm -hmm. what's going to happen in 2020, you know, what's going to be that thing then? And, It's it's gonna be you know and it's gonna happen and unfortunately a lot of those nerds who are who are you know out there exercising their quote unquote power on everybody <laughs> they're not gonna have any venue for it anymore and no, and instead not. of just enjoying the fact that this is the this is the time and this is the culture and this is the place and and you know we are getting to see the projects 
made the big budget projects mm-hmm. made of these things that we've loved yeah. and have never been able to see in that way everybody's shitting on it and 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 telling how uh, uh, telling everybody putting out what's wrong with it yeah. instead of just enjoying the fact that it's here well and the fake geek girl thing oh my god that oh. annoys me to know and gamer yeah. and yeah. all of that and it's just like unfortunately Men are bad enough as it is. Speaking as one, men are bad enough as it is. Men feel imp- feel feel um, disenfranchised as it is. Throw on the growing up as a nerd and being even further disenfranchised, mm-hmm. and so that that gives them a sense. Now that it's nerd culture's here, gives them even more of an sense of entitlement. Of I want this thing this way. Yeah. This thing has always been done my way because it's been in a comic book or fill in the blank mm-hmm. done this way. And if anybody else tries to do it in any other way other than what I'm used to, I'm going to complain. Yeah. What's really funny is like I'm single and I get a lot of nerd guys, you know, like reaching out to me, messaging me, asking me on dates and all of that. And you know, I hear. Um, across the board from nerd guys, like, oh my gosh, you're a nerdy girl, like, where have you been? I never meet nerdy girls. And it's like, dude, if you're not meeting nerdy girls, it's probably because you're an asshole. Like, we exist. We're not unicorns. We are out there. If nerd girls are not talking to you, it's probably because you're being a dick. Well, the other question is, what do they really actually mean when they say they want a nerdy girl? And that's Mm -hmm. different for everybody, and I... Unfortunately, that speculate. also means that yeah. I've had all these things my way, and I yeah. want the girl. If, a, if I'm going to meet a girl who's quote unquote nerdy, I want her to be a certain way and be yeah. in a bubble. And it just always yeah. feels like you know these guys are like, oh, I have the job, and I have the car, and I have the good apartment, and I have the TV, and now I need the girl because they've mm-hmm. been spoon fed that idea that yeah. you know our the culture hero, sets them up for it. Yeah, they've been spoon fed the idea Magazine, that the hero yeah. always mm-hmm. gets the girl. Like that shit starts. Young in yeah. every single fairy tale, the hero is always rewarded with the girl or except the princess at the end. Yeah, yeah except Star Wars, Thank which God. is why Star Wars is the best. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, yeah. There's there's things there's things on that scale that are good about Star Wars. There's also other things that are bad about on that yeah. scale. I mean, mm-hmm. in the movie Star Wars, Princess Leia is the only girl, only woman in the universe. But you know, but, uh, but later on, we have more. And actually, even with, I was very happy. I'll say it again. I was very happy to see that the two main characters in, in episode seven are a black man and a woman. Mm-hmm. That was that made me very happy. Nice. Yeah. Um, but, um, oh, go ahead. Was, uh, I was going to go back to the the whole what we mentioned about the culture and how it's going to change, and we know it's mm-hmm, coming. It's mm-hmm, only a matter mm-hmm. of time. One of the things that I got really interested in was what caused this particular zeitgeist in the first place. Ooh. You know, because. Um, I I took a history of American pop culture class when I was going to UCLA, and we looked at what caused the popularity of superheroes in the first place back in the 30s and 40s, mm-hmm. and it was a frustration with the government and the way that things were being handled. It was a direct backlash. I mean, you had Superman literally beating up corporate lobbyists. Yeah, and literally beating up Hitler and literally... Yes. And it was this feeling of the inability of anybody human to actually deal with the problems that were being faced by the country. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm, I'm kind of seeing some similar parallels, although... No, it did kind of get started around the time of the recession. Right. Right? Yeah. It, it kind of, I feel like yeah. it really ties it in with that. Well, this in was, the Bush era. It, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a matter of, of 
a lot of this is always a matter of, of escapism. And yeah. oh, when the yeah. economy's bad, look at what the most popular show... What's the most popular show on TV right now? The Walking Dead. Yep. And that's because people are depressed, and people are unhappy, and people hate the government, and people hate their jobs, and people feel under overworked and underpaid. Mm-hmm. And so then when they escape, they want to see somebody who has it way, 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 way worse than they do. Yeah. And if it's not watching... Duck Dynasty and watching a bunch of hicks be homophobic and be assholes on TV gross. and be poor and gross. It's yeah. watch people deal with the zombie apocalypse or watch, you know, or see superheroes, which make you feel like you, like anybody. Like, one of the reasons why Guardian of the Galaxy was so popular, some average little Earth kid got taken from Earth and now he's out in the universe. Saving the saving the universe like it, it could happen yeah. to anybody. Although still being an asshole, right? Yeah. Although still being an asshole, <laughs> but, but a lovable um, asshole. But but, but uh, and the the Walking Dead thing ties into the rise of Western popularity, Western yes. culture popularity. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, I actually would venture to say that the zombie apocalypse uh, scenario is our times version of the Western because it's yeah. sort of it's yeah. also reaching into. We are all so much more than our culture allows us to be. Mm. And we know that if we were put in a live or die situation like that, we know, we just know that we would rise up and kick ass. I think if the zombie apocalypse were to happen, the most difficult part for me would be containing my excitement at finally being (laughs) able to use all the combat skills that I've acquired. Just saying. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the thing is... The thing that I realized a long time ago, and I'm going to say a big, huge duh here. (laughs) The Walking Dead is not the zombies. It's the survivors. Mm -hmm. And they're soap opera. And they are the Walking Dead because they're all infected Mm -hmm. and they're all just doomed to failure. And that's that's why I've stopped watching The Walking Dead. I Mm -hmm. don't see an exit strategy for that show. Mm -hmm. They're not... They've already been to the CDC. They've already been to... They're not going to find a cure. They're not going to find some big military military stronghold power enough to be able to systematically go through the entire United States and yep. wipe out every walker and then fi- and then science finds a cure for the actual infection so that when you die you actually stay dead. Right. That's not going to happen. And nope. and the only thing the only place that, that show has to go is whittling everybody down one by one by one by one by one until we finally see Rick die. Yeah. And that's it. And or that's Darryl. where it's going to go. I think that Daryl needs to be the last one standing because well, you know Rick Daryl didn't exist in the in the <laughs> comics and, mm-hmm. and and Rick is the main guy, but you're right. I, I definitely think that Daryl is much stronger than Rick. Even though Rick is more quote unquote intelligent yeah. than Daryl, Daryl is a much stronger, much more suited to the apocalypse than yeah. Rick is because Rick is Rick is still part of Rick's personality is still living in the right, real yeah. world in in today. Well, because he woke up in it. Um, yeah. Funny story. I was at uh, the archery range in Pasadena, and I always shoot with zombie targets mm-hmm. because, like a good Boy Scout, I try and be prepared. <laughs> and I had some jerk like come by and try and like mansplain to me about how archery and like bows and arrows aren't good against zombies, and it's a bad idea for the zombie apocalypse. And I'm like, dude, tell that to fucking Daryl Dixon, you know? Come on. 
yeah. Well, Meanwhile, was, you went shoom, right yeah. through the right through the eye eye socket of yep. the zombie target, and you're like, yeah. you were saying, yeah. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you over the sound of my awesomeness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, maybe not a good idea to insult the girl while she's you know handling a deadly weapon. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I was speaking. I was saying Daryl should be last just from a strictly commercial standpoint. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. Do yeah. not kill off that character if you oh, know what's good for you. I've heard women say they will firebomb. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. When he if, dies. If they kill off, off Daryl, the show would be over. Because yeah. I mean, it's pretty much all about Daryl at this point. As far as the show isn't really written about Daryl, but I no, mean, as but far he's... as the, the one that everybody's rooting for the most is oh, Daryl. Yeah. One thing that I notice about zombie shows across the board is all of the women in zombie shows still have, like, straightened and or, you know, some way, like, altered hair. They all still manage to shave. Like, are you kidding me? If I'm fighting for my life, like, I'm not going to worry about, like, shaving my legs. Like, that's just not happening. Carol still has earrings on, did you know? Or tweezing. Yeah. Still. She is wearing, like, little stud earrings. Now, it's, it's entirely possible that she just never took them out. Right. But I'm just like, she's wearing earrings. Yeah. Aww. It's like, if we're fighting for our lives, either beauty standards have to change or get the fuck out of my survival team because I'm not shaving. Like, well, I'm too busy I'm pretty trying sure that to not, does not die. Shave. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Michonne <laughs> does not. Unless she just goes... <laughs> With the katana <laughs> under the underarms, you know, just to show, just to keep her skills sharp. Then you know, also, then, it's then, not cosmetic. The it's big angry. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that would be amazing. She keeps you the know. stubble on her legs, so she. Can I like matches. personally when I was still watching the show, Michonne was my favorite character because I found that she was the most complex of all the characters, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and you know, especially in terms of her backstory, and yeah. then and finding out that when we meet her in the show. The two zombies that she's carrying, that she's walking with, are her sons or brothers or something They're like that. They were people she knew. They were people. Yeah. She was they were family to. members. Yeah. And so, yeah, that back yeah. that when they did that thing where they went through back through everybody's backstory yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I just I don't see any. I got I, I checked out halfway through this this last season, and I it, it, I just don't see that show ever going anywhere and ever getting mm-hmm. any better or you know. Non formulaic. If you're going to go on that kind of a journey, you've got to have some kind. Yeah, it's become formulaic too. Yeah. It, the show, well, a, a lot of season two, the, every single episode was clean up the shit that went wrong at the end of the last episode, fight about something amongst yourselves, <laughs> somebody does something really, really fucking stupid, and then you're cliffhanger for next week. And yep, it, yeah. that, that causes the walkers to attack, and then you're cliffhanger for next week. And that yeah. was every show for a whole season, and it's like, really? Mm-hmm. But now it just, I don't see any 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 positive outcome for that show, so I'm no. not going to go on that journey with them anymore. No. So I was out with the start of the cannibalism. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, people who haven't, aren't caught up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, spoilers. Spoiler alert. Um, back to cosplay. Um, <laughs> Remember that. Um, so, tell us about your company that you're no longer running. But wh- tell us how you got started in cosplay. When, where, and, and yeah. how, and that kind of thing. And, yeah. and give us give us a thousand page memoir. Oh, no, no, just um, but you know, just tell us about cosplay, about your, your yeah. origins, and that, and how you got started, and why, and what what kind of things kind of motivated you and excited you about oh, it. Oh God, I I knew that cosplay was a big thing, but I didn't know that it was something I could do professionally. 
And I don't mean to be a professional cosplayer because that's a whole other kettle of fish. It was, I didn't know that I could make a job out of making costumes for cosplayers. Mm-hmm. Um, I got interested in comics primarily, I wish I could say that I read them when I was a kid, but it's not true because I only read a few, that is. I, I read like one X-Men comic that I really liked and I took all of my brother's Batman comics mm. when he got tired of them and read those. And I've always liked Batman. Mm. But, um, and I've always liked costumes. And I was a costume designer before I discovered cosplay. And I, I had a really wonderful boyfriend um, many years ago who was a big comic book nerd and got me really into it. And, and I just sort of discovered it. And he was the one who made me aware of Comic-Con and the existence of cosplay. But he, I think he also wasn't really, he didn't do the cosplay thing himself. He just knew that it existed. And I think he really um, didn't realize how passionate those people were. But also I think cosplay was a lot smaller as a cultural hmm. phenomenon at that time. It's become a lot bigger. And I want to say that it's like a religion. And that sounds weird. But what I see is that people are so passionate about these characters that they're going to the greatest lengths to make their costume as completely accurate and if it's not ac- if it's not just accurate looking also functional you know how how far can we go how close to the reality can we possibly come and what won't we do to get there nothing <laughs> um so you know i was I, I knew that it was there and i wanted to do it and i started making a batgirl costume. I think that was officially the first cosplay costume I made, um, Cassandra Kane Batgirl, because I learned about her story and she really inspired me because mm-hmm. she's just the most badass female mm, character yeah, that I'd ever yeah. been exposed to. And I and I loved her costume too because it was it was so fierce. It was not I love Barbara Gordon Batgirl as well, yes, but she's softer like her hair is flowing out the back, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she's pretty. And I'm not knocking the pretty girls, but Cassandra Kane was like, "Look, I'm here to take some people down," mm-hmm. and that is my priority. I'm not here priority. to look nice. I'm here to. I don't gas. care what I yeah. look like, and she's a good guy, but she looks absolutely terrifying because mm. her face is completely black. That's good. There's no eye holes. There's no mouth. There's mm. nothing. It's just black with some stitches. Nice. And um, cosplay-wise, that's very hard to do. Oh yeah. But I did it. And, um, you know, but I was making it like for myself. Double mesh to kind of be able Not to see mesh, through? Not mesh, no, okay. because mesh swatches dreadfully in photographs. Mm, okay. um, I tried mesh first, and then I went, oh, that's not really going to look good. That's going to look weird. So I got, I ended up using very thin uh, knit cashmere, mm. which I didn't even know was a thing. I just found it, and I stretched it out and held it up in front of my eyes and went, yeah, I can see through that. Yeah. And I put it on, and it was because it was cashmere and not spandex. There was no shine to it at all. Mm. It was just black as night, mm. nice and and totally anonymous. But it had the right contour, mm. and it was comfortable. And um, so anyway, I, I made that, and that was all very well and good. And I was planning to wear it to Comic Con and have fun, and that was it. And that was the end of my ambitions. And then, and I actually was starting to turn away from costuming and and look into other career possibilities and I met a guy quite randomly uh, on Halloween because I dressed up as spoiler Mm -hmm. 
And no one dresses up as Spoiler because most <laughs> people don't even know who she is. I just really like her costume. I she's love actually spoiler. not. She's a compelling character, but I actually don't relate to her very much because she's kind of like that little kid who's, who's right. stubborn and determined to prove, right? You know, at any cost that she's got what it takes when in fact she really doesn't. Yeah, I was really happy with the Tim Drake Robin series. I have all of those collected, all the different versions with all the holograms and shit on them and stuff. Yeah. And I'm actually kind of annoyed, to be perfectly frank, that Stephanie Brown is alive. Because mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, she should not be. That was the correct ending. Uh, spoiler! Ha ha ha! Um, and so anyway, I dressed up as her for Halloween and this guy comes running up to me. And is like, oh, you're spoiler. That's a great spoiler. And just totally hi, you know, introduced himself. And and he was really into cosplay. And I have him to thank. Uh, his name was Matt. And I have him to thank for my whole cosplay everything. And he created Cape and Cowl Creations with me. We were partners when we started because he had been a longtime fan. And he taught himself how to make bat suits when he was a teenager. Oh wow! Yeah, out of. Uh, he was homesick with something, I forget what it was, but it was something dreadful that he was out for like a month. With uh, It was it was bad. Mono? It was bad. No, it was not mono. I want to say pneumonia. And he just decided and, to become and Batman. And he was like, I have all time. this time to kill. I I'm going to learn. <laughs> I'm going to learn. I'm the knight. <laughs> so he taught himself how to make bat suits, and then he just, it snowballed. And it was just for him, by the way. He didn't want to do it as a business. He just really wanted it for his own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And so and he was very passionate about it. So he learned to cast things in latex and to sculpt things and he was really great at making bat armor and everything. But he wasn't so much strong with the sewing. And I, I have sewed since I was a little child. Nice. And so we were the perfect combination of skills and talents. And he just introduced me to the whole cosplay world and to all the cosplayers who'd been beating down his door begging for him to make them something for years. He suddenly said, hey, guys, I need to introduce you to someone. I I got somebody who can sew now. (laughs) She can help you. Take your requests to her. And at first he just channeled it all to me. But the problem is they wanted things that I couldn't make. I don't know how to sculpt and cast in latex and all of that. They wanted the whole package. They didn't just want a costume. They wanted the props and, you know, everything. And so eventually we realized that I needed his skills too. So we worked together for a while. But it wasn't, it didn't last very long. I know he never really wanted this as a career, whereas I'd always wanted costume design as a career. So, um, so he just, he basically just gave me this wonderful gift of all these amazing contacts and, you know, introduced me to how things go and took me to my first con and like, let me stay at his place and introduced me to all his friends and just dropped this wonderful gift into my lap. (laughs) Um, do you have any advice for, uh, first time cosplayers now that cosplay is kind of blown up and there's a lot of, you know, like professional cosplayers and things like that. (laughs) I, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I would cosplay, but you know, like they get intimidated. So for anyone who's like thinking about cosplaying or like first time cosplayers, like, Mm -hmm. do you have any tips and tricks you'd like to share? A million. And I know what you want me to say and I'm going to say it. I promise. Okay. Um, (laughs) Uh, But really, for any first-time cosplayer, I would say go into it knowing who you are and knowing what you want out of it. And that's, you know, that's just good advice for life. Mm -hmm. Be very careful what your motivations are. Be very careful who you're looking to satisfy. Make sure it's you. Um, Put yourself first. People will tell you what you can and can't or should and shouldn't do. 
listen to them only after you have considered what is important to you. Because I've seen people kind of get swallowed up. And then I hear professional cosplayers saying things like, well, my fans want me to. And it's just like, stop. Stop. You know, the the forces on the internet, they're not as real as you think they are. They're only as real as you let them become. Yeah, yeah. Don't let them take over. You have to be bigger than that. You know, I mean, and there's... I'll, t- I'll say the thing that Kitty wants me to say because it's important and it, it for Americans and for humans everywhere. Um, if you are a male cosplayer and you are wearing a spandex outfit, for the love of all that lives and breathes, wear a dance belt underneath. Please. Mm-hmm. Please. I know you Please. think that you can get away with it and that it's not, no one's going to notice. You are wrong. You cannot. You are not David Bowie. This is not Labyrinth. No. Do you hear me? No. David Bowie wore the correct undergarment. Mm-hmm. He's just David Bowie. He's I'm not David saying Bowie. it wasn't distracting. Look, I'm just saying it was appropriately handled. But his, you know, his Bowie was showing through the whole thing. But he, yes, he wore the correct. Undergarment. But it was showing correctly. That's mm. the point. Um, honestly, also, there's there's very little that you cannot do. It, it's all a matter of how how determined you are and how inspired you are. And it's just a matter of time before some cosplayer goes off to Norway and kills a bear for the perfect Loki Ugh, cape. Jesus. You know? And I'm yeah. not saying you shouldn't do that. Just make sure it's not a bear that's endangered or right, something right. because that's not cool. Do your homework first. Yeah, you know? Or we could just, you know, not kill bears, says the vegan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not big on big killing bears either. Except in Skyrim, because fuck them. Um, <laughs> so, okay, we'll get back to that in a second. So I have a, I have a deep burn. Okay, so I'm very, 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 very new to the whole Power Girl thing. Oh. So, let's talk boob window for a second, because... Sure. I haven't read any of the comics. I haven't done anything. I mean, obviously, I my lizard brain screams to look at at Power Girl cosplay because mm-hmm. um, it's fantastic and boobs and everything. Um, but it seems to me like the whole thing, like the people who created Power Girl, are pretty meta about that whole thing. She seems the character herself seems to be seems to spend a lot of time making fun of the fact that she wears this ridiculous outfit with a big hole oval hole mm-hmm. in the front of her costume where her tits are protruding. Sometimes it's shaped like a heart. Yeah. 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 I know in the comics there's yeah. a running joke that, you know, eventually she was going to get her own like logo or insignia a la like Superman or Batman and it just mm-hmm. never materialized. So there's that hole and she's waiting, you know, for waiting for her logo, yeah. <laughs> Waiting for her logo you know, to come along and fill that place in. I, I have not actually read very many Power Girl comics, so I don't know the official reasons behind the boob window. But I will say, it's probably a lot easier to punch a bad guy if he is distracted by your cleavage. Oh, yeah. Fact. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it, it all comes back to the whole feminism choice thing. If that's sure. If she chose that boob window, for whatever reasons she chose it, then more power to her. Right, right. You know? I honestly, I, I don't really have a strong side that I want to stand on in the boob window debate. <laughs> I don't feel Left like... Left or right. I don't feel like... <laughs> well, it just depends on what God gave you. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't really think that having not having a boob window is more empowering than having a boob window. Um, I've never worn one, though, to be fair. So you should really ask, 
ask the cosplayers who have dressed up as Power Girl. Neither have I. <laughs> um, Are you sure? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a, a dear friend who I made a Power Girl costume for, and I can ask her how she felt about. Is the that the one? Girl. The one that's in the pictures? On the page? Yeah, it's the only yeah, one. That one was pretty cool. So yeah. she's great. Yeah, and really good. And I've <clears throat> spent a fair amount of time looking at various interpretations of the Power Girl costume. Mm. I think that was probably the least creepy way I could say that. Um, <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, yeah, so well done. Well done on the costume. So um, so back to cosplay. You, you, um, so you, with this friend, partnered together, created this business. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and based on your work, you were pretty prolific. And, and how many years were you Cape and Cowl? Not very many. Okay. Um, it, we officially became Cape and Cowl in the winter of 2012. Was it 2012 or was it 2011? Oh, God, now I'm not sure. I think it was 2011. We have fit, yeah. It, ooh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> she says on the podcast. Um, I think it was 2011. It did not. It did not last very long. So three, it, four years. Our partnership lasted less than a year. Okay, but um, Cape and Cowl, Cape and Cowl so. has been a few years. Uh, yeah, because he and I started that winter. We weren't prepared for how much pressure we were going to be under to be truthful about it. And we, we bit off more than we could chew at the sure, very sure. beginning. Yeah. And that quickly sped things on their way to changing. You're in that place where the new a new thing where word is spreading and people are coming to you and you're like, you want the business. You yes, want to give, you want to yes take to as everyone. many, you want to yeah. say yes to everyone. And you cannot. And you can't because, yeah. but then you get to buried under the weight of that. Like, oh Christ, this is actually going to take yeah. a week to hand sew and I have all these other projects. Right. To work on and whatever. the other thing is that in cosplay, at least for me so far, Almost every costume I've made is completely different. I've never duplicated anything. Mm. Even if it was the same character, it would mm. be a different version mm. yeah, yeah, with yeah. different materials for a different yeah, person. Yeah, I saw several of your different Harley Quinns, for example. Uh, some of them look more like the video game. Some of them yep. look more like the comic book. Mm-hmm. Some of them look more like different stages of the comic book. They love their Harley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had more requests for Harley Quinn and Catwoman than anything Harley else. Quinn has become a huge... Huge character in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why why did things wrap up so quickly for you with Cape and Cow? Did you have to do something else, or did no. it become too overwhelming? Or or I I don't know. With Cape and Cow, it was actually all costuming. And one day I was sitting there working on a costume, and it just literally like a ton of bricks. I was just suddenly, oh, I don't want to do this anymore mm. at all. And it was it was like a something died. It was like you get a call, so and so, you know, insert name of close friend here, has just died. You have five minutes to put on a black dress and get your ass to the funeral. Wow. Oh, wow. You're moving on. You're done. And it was very shocking and very startling and I don't know why. I didn't really look into why I didn't want to do it anymore. It just it for whatever reason at that moment it stopped nourishing me. Hmm. And I was like, okay, time the be- the to time best to go. To stop doing yeah. something. Time to go look for something else. You know that you will nourish now? me. So now I'm a teacher. All right. Um, of elementary school, and it's it's very nourishing, and it's I'm really glad that I made that change. I don't regret it at all. Mm-hmm. It's there's a certain amount of nostalgia for the costuming days, and there's a couple mm, couple of people who I'm still going to make costumes for once in a blue moon. Okay. But. Um, you're not no never going to rely on it as a primary source of probably not forever. I don't unless it changes back. So you burned out really quickly, like within a matter of a few years. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I don't know if it was burned out or just that, you know, like, I don't think that anything was going wrong for me. I think that I was just done with mm-hmm. that. I can write volumes, and I will, about <laughs> the importance of costumes in general, not just cosplay, but costumes in general um, as an element of the human experience. Sure. And I think that they're oh, really vital. Oh, that goes vital. back millennia. Oh, oh that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that was what I was tapping into. I was all about costumes as a means of communication, as a means of emotional expression, as a means of establishing your own identity. Sure. Mm-hmm. And sure. all of that tied into the work that I was doing. But it, like I said, it wasn't just cosplay that I was done with. It was making costumes as a career, period. For mm. film, for, for television, for whatever. Done. No wow. more. And it took me over a year to really put the brakes on that and stop it and clear out all of the stuff and turn it over and very luckily I had this wonderful girl Melissa who I mentioned Mm -hmm. who she was my assistant because one of the things I didn't realize was that I would need to have assistants sure and uh you know I had her I'd been training her in all the ways of cosplay costuming and she was picking it up beautifully and doing great work and I went oh you know what I can just turn this whole thing over to her and I did (laughs) Cool. Alright. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It was it was a great ride and you know, there's there's nothing that I wish I hadn't done. But it So just you were, was you said done. you were doing movie okay. t- movies and T V costumes as I well? I came to LA to do that. Okay. And I started to and I I didn't like it. Mm. It wasn't I could have done it I think as a career, um, but it wasn't the personalities that are, that are in that business make it really hard mm. to do your thing. There's there's a lot that gets in the way of the artistry of, mm. of costuming, sure. and um, and I d- I also had I was 21 when I moved out here. I had uh, no idea yeah. what I was coming into. <laughs> no idea. I didn't understand about unions, and I also understood very little about the politics of working. Sure. In any place, let alone Hollywood, which are quite complex. Yeah. And not entirely, um, what's the word, intuitive. Mm-hmm. No, no. And so for a young person, you know, at that age to try and pick up on all of that, I'm sure there are people who can pick up on it more quickly than I did, but I was just lost and I was like, I don't understand why are people behaving this way? Yeah. So yeah. while well, the rest of the cosplay community is weeping that you're no longer making costumes, yeah. like you yourself still cosplay though, correct? Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. I realized last year that that would probably never stop. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us so about fun. your new cosplay projects that you have going on. <sighs> Yeah, I thought I was getting away. It's not going to happen. Nope. Um, I have a couple of friends who all met each other last year at Comic-Con, and I knew all of them before, but they I hadn't introduced them necessarily to each other. And we all came together and went, oh, we like this group of people. This This is a group of people that we want to hang out with more often. Let's do cosplay together. Because some of them had not been to cosplay ever, or to cosplay, to Comic-Con ever before. (laughs) uh, And had never cosplayed before and were just bitten by the bug Mm -hmm. at San Diego last year. And I was like, okay, let's do it. But I'm really excited. We're going to do a group of, um, I'm calling it the Justice League Bomber Girls. And it is directly and obviously inspired by the DC Bomber Girls, Mm -hmm. which is a thing. 
And um, a friend of mine, actually, who has bought many costumes from me, was invited to be a part of the DC Bomber Girls cosplay group last year, which is I, it's a lot of people. It, I want to say it's there's like almost 20 characters. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. It is hard to coordinate a cosplay group that big. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to get seven people to be Sailor Scouts with me, and we only ended up with like five, I think, on the final day. <laughs> It's hard yeah. to do, but half of us are costume designers in this group, so that's nice. And we're all grown-ups, which is really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something that... Uh, I, I don't really want to go on about the, the negative dynamics in cosplay, because they're there, but I don't... I don't know. They deserve some attention, but... I don't like to focus on them. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. No yeah, worries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we try to keep it positive when we can. Sometimes it's we difficult. Do. But, um, yeah, uh, my my experience with cosplay was just kind of the homemade variety of, you know, safety pinning a towel around your neck for a cape or that kind of thing. And I did a lot of that as a little kid. and Or I'd comb my hair one way and I was... Steve Austin in another way, and that's that's the six million dollar man, not the wrestler. And I comb <laughs> my hair the other way, and I was Robin, and 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 uh, so you know little things like that, and and then later Doctor Who really captured me, picked me up, and threw me across the room, and when I was seven, eight, nine, ten, and then actually started going to conventions. I never got into the Star Trek convention thing. Um, I liked Star Trek, but I it didn't it didn't grab me the way that Doctor Who did, or the way that other things did. Mm-hmm. And um, but but doing that thing of cosplay of I always felt for me like I was never gonna be able to get that thing to look that way because I did not sew, mm-hmm. didn't know anything about about patterns or or you know making something that would fit me right. I had to just go off of finding a thing that looked sort of like a th- a something else mm-hmm. and working with it. So oh, it was yeah. always a very found piece, homemade type thing. Like for a while I did the Doctor Who thing. I had a scarf that I crocheted myself. Nice. Crocheted, not knitted. Nice. That was made out of all the wrong colors. Uh, part of it was variegated colored yarn. It was like Ooh. avocado and gold and rust. And it was it was a monstrosity. It's still sitting <laughs> in a box somewhere. Aww. And and it was that and a pea coat and an old floppy hat. And that was as close to Doctor Who as I came. And I made my own sonic screwdriver out of pieces of a ski pole and a spark plug. Nice. And I had my own sonic screwdriver. And I was pretty much like the only person I knew who was into Doctor Who. And I got a few kids at school into it, but I just, I would go to conventions, I would go places, I would see the costumes they were actually wearing, and I just never felt like a, and then later I even did Rocky Horror, and I always had this very makeshift, I made, quote unquote, made a corset out of car seat material, like vinyl, black fronted vinyl. with sh- green shoelace for the corset oh, wow. and then my own underwear and a pair of fishnets and I took a pair of my mom's old heels spray painted them I think they were silver and I spray painted them something and then wore those and and, yes. and, and used a grocery store Dracula cape um, when they finally started making out of fabric because they were made out of they were made out of um, 
like plastic just when plastic, I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this was actually one that was made out of fabric, and that and a, and an old wig, an old curly brown wig that my mom had, and nice. that was my Rocky, that was my Frankenfurter outfit. That is so cool. I'm pretty sure I used. Um, I did have a fabric store, but I'm pretty sure I used, you know those wires that you get at, like, craft stores that are wrapped in, like, paper? Mm-hmm. I think they're for, like, doing floral designs with. I used those as the boning in my first course. Sure, sure. And that was a mistake, but I learned. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, God. it was one of those things where I never, I mean, I was in the in Rocky Horror cast in Denver, and we all had oh. kind of, you know, makeshift costumes. Nobody had the, and then when I moved to L.A. in... 98 and I went to Sins of the Flesh down at Newark mm-hmm. and everybody's costumes were perfect. Yeah. Everything, the costumes and the makeup and everything. I'm like, oh. how the hell did you do that? And I would just, and there's always been this great divide and I've always had to, if I was ever going to have anything that even looked remotely close, somebody else had to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've always been one of those person, people to buy costumes rather than make my own. Yeah. I definitely can't sew. The first uh, cosplay costume that I ever did was a uh, Malin from Cardcaptor Sakura. And I found, like, an angel dress for the sleeves and, like, a red dress for the other part. And, like, since I didn't know how to sew, I had to figure out how to put the two things together. And I just ended up using a hot glue gun, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably not the best idea, but it lasted for, you know, the whole weekend of Anime Expo. Just, you know, I definitely need somebody like you, Abby, um, to make a costume for me because I just, I don't have those skills. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Melissa, Melissa. Yeah. Melissa, yeah. yes, please. Yeah, Melissa um, nowadays, but you know, Melissa. somebody I'm with burying her. Skills. I'm sure she'll thank you for the recommends. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. She's she's quite happy about it. But I just, I'm kind of like, I'm doing what Matt did to me. I'm throwing everyone at her, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, it's a good gift. It's just one that you have to crawl out from under after yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, go to Melissa and tell her shut up and take my money. Yeah. <laughs> so Melissa is is two things. She's cape and cowl. And then she's got her own thing on, uh, I want to say on the side, but it's not actually true. It's probably her focus. Um, It's called the corset carriage. Um, Mm. So that's her specialization. She makes corsets. She makes corsets, and they're beautiful. Nice. Um, Her latest thing is making corsets of the Disney princesses. Ooh. Very nice. And they're quite lovely. You should check them out. Mm. Um, Yeah, definitely. One of the other things, we've, we've pretty much covered this I feel but uh, one of the other things I want to emphasize about cosplay is that there's a certain perception as I'm sure we all know in the cosplay world that it's okay to hate on beautiful women because they have it easy and um, that's one of the notions that I kind of would like to see turned around but it's it's one of the reasons why I've made some of the choices in cosplay that I've made Um, As you might have seen, I have a lot of photos of one particular very dear and lovely customer named Vivka on my page. And she's great because she is a model. And one of the things that I've always loved about her is that she's very courageous in her cosplay choices. She will wear those costumes that you look at and go, I don't know if I can get away with wearing that to a con. She'll do it. Mm -hmm. And she'll pull it off. And it'll be great. And uh, she's been... She's been sort of a godsend because she came to me and was like, here I am. I will dress up as, you know, all the characters of the, you know, that you want to make that you wouldn't think anybody would be brave enough to wear. I will be that brave person. (laughs) Uh, 
most significantly Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan. Did you see it? <laughs> I did. I saw. I didn't see the one of her, but I, I saw. You know, I, I have seen cosplay done of that. You should yeah. look at it because oh, it was just it was just delightful. Mm-hmm. It was just great. She gave me the opportunity to meet those challenges and and go there. You know, I would never ever be brave enough to dress up as Molotov cocktails. Yeah. Neither yeah. would I. No, it's it's really daunting. And there's other characters too. She she had me make her a Vampirella outfit. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, you know, I just want to say I'm really glad that there are women like her out there mm-hmm. in cosplay in the world saying, you know what? We can do this. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to be this character and you will respect me. I'm sure it's all the spirit gum and body tape for that costume as well. Which one? Uh, Molotov cocktails. No. Really? No spirit gum. Wow. No How spirit gum was used. Like, I'm genuinely curious. I will tell you because the world deserves to know. So Molotov Cocktease, for those of you who don't know who she is, is a character on the Venture Brothers, mm-hmm. which you need to watch. Go Absolutely. watch it right now. Yeah. Um, and she's the she's a caricature of a sexy Russian spy, and she has she's Black Widow basically, but basically, but you know, Black Widow, but Black and Widow Bond girls and like yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole yeah. like yeah. genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Black Widow's clothing would stay on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Molotov Cocktease, her outfit shouldn't work in real world because it's it's the neckline plunges down past her belly button. Yeah. And but it's very wide. It's not just a slit. It's it's a shape. There's a shape there. Yeah. And then and it does the same in the back. Mm-hmm. It goes down to and the crack of her butt is showing. Yeah. Uh, you know. So there's that. And that was the thing. And what I did was I created a piece of boning for each, that was the shape of the outline. Oh, and that's how you got it to stay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and if you're going well, great. How do I create a piece of boning, Miss Smarty Pants? Here's what you do, kids. You go to Home Depot. (laughs) Home Depot is your new god um, for cosplay. You go to the place where they sell the plastic signs that say for sale for when you're like selling your car or your house or whatever. Those plastic signs are usually... corrugated signs? They're usually made of polystyrene. Now, what you need to do is check to see if you can break them. Do this when there is not an employee watching you. Because <laughs> some of them will snap. The Something Something Experience podcast does not condone the breaking of signs at Home Depot. <laughs> um, some of them will snap like dry twigs. Do not choose those ones. If it's less than a millimeter thick, that is not the one you need to choose. Don't even try to break that one. You will. But I found one, and this was in an emergency situation at San Diego Comic-Con when the, the original piece of boning had broken. Oh. Um, so I got another one, and this time I coated it with leather. It still broke under the leather. Um, so don't do that. I went and I found this huge sign, and it was, I want to say it was like two millimeters thick, but I don't know because I didn't measure. Uh, and I just bent it and bent it and bent it and bent it and bent it until it was almost double, and it still wouldn't break. And I was like, that's the one for me. And I could cut it with regular scissors. That's the other thing. It was strong, but you could use, you don't need special fancy costume person scissors. So I had the shape. I cut it into the shape that it needed to be. I fed it into the casing that I'd sewed for it. And presto. Now, because she wanted to walk around at a con, I did have to hold the pieces together. Do not use clear plastic. That is tacky. 
and for quitters. <laughs> I used um, skin-colored tulle mesh. Tulle is the stuff that ballerina skirts are made out of, mm-hmm. in case you don't know. Mm-hmm. I got skin-colored tulle, two layers of it, stitched it together in a couple of strategic places. And that way, she could wear it around, and then when she did the photo shoot, apparently, the photographer didn't even have to Photoshop it out. Wow. Yeah, you couldn't tool, see it. If you look at the pictures, have fun. Like, you mm-hmm. you will have a hard time finding we'll it. We'll have links for this on the, um, on the episode. Yeah. So that was one of my most proud achievements. Awesome. Molotov cocktails without spirit gum. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely mm-hmm. something to be proud of. Do you have any other costumes like that that you're really proud of? Um, I'm really like proud of all of my costumes. Solved? But every single one of them. Oh, every costume I've ever made, there was a problem solve. Because people will message you and go, hey, can you make a blah, 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 insert character here? The answer is always yes. Mm -hmm. Have I done it before? Oh, God, no. (laughs) But yes, I can. I know I can. Um, The same friend who, I can't remember if I mentioned her in this podcast, Crystal, um, gave me one of my other favorite costuming challenges, which was Arkham City Catwoman. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've played the game, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that one. That's the one of her, the, the main picture on that page. On the yes, page. yes. Yes. That was and really I'm, well done. Thank mm-hmm. you. There are 62 pattern pieces in that bodysuit. Yeah. Um, and I made that pattern from scratch. And making your own pattern is really easy to do. It just takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and commitment. You don't, what I figured with cosplay is you don't actually need to have a lot of money if you're willing to invest a lot of time. So she put on a mock-up bodysuit, and I made her stand still while I drew all of those pattern pieces onto her body, <laughs> onto the bodysuit that she was wearing, and then used them to create the pattern for the actual bodysuit. And it took about five months to make that one. Wow. Yeah, that was great. I'm I'm eternally grateful to Crystal for asking for that costume. The thing that I like about the the Arkham City Catwoman outfit is that obviously super super duper sexy costume, mm-hmm. but it has that zipper. Yeah. And it's zipped up. Mm-hmm. But the the sex it's it's the it's the sexy potential factor. The <laughs> fact that you know at some point that zip and at some point in her life, that it zipper will come comes down, down yeah. and it's like, oh. but you're never going to get to see that, nope. <laughs> but it does it eventually come down. Now, when you're doing a, a, an outfit like that with the zipper, do you stitch the zipper in place or do you ha- use a zipper that is um, catchy enough, I guess that's that the word? I used a metal zipper yeah. and metal zippers are always the safest bet. Um, they tend to not ride down very much. That one didn't ride down. Okay. Um, you just have to check with the zipper that you have. Mm-hmm. Some zippers will ride down, and you have to experiment with it before you let the person walk out the door. Right, right. Because right. um, I try not to have embarrassing right. wardrobe malfunctions. We don't have wardrobe malfunctions. <laughs> no, we really don't. Yes. We really don't. But the other thing you can do in a situation like that, again, you really don't need spirit gum if you've done things correctly. Uh, for instance, on the Vampirella and on a lot of costumes where it has to hug the boobs or any other part really um neoprene is a great solution um not that it's cheaper than spirit gum because it really isn't but i make a lot of costumes out of neoprene anyway so i tend to have it lying around it clings it sticks Mm. it's rubber basically and it will stick to your skin 
quite even, nicely. Even with profuse sweating from wearing neoprene. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, though, there's, like, no air between the neoprene and your skin, so the sweat is just, like, congealing. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't this sound appealing, y'all? No, Don't you no, just really want to put on a neoprene one thing about, costume? A, a lot of the things that I've always wanted to cosplay as are layer after layer after layer. And the thing that people don't realize (laughs) is that movies and TV shows are shot on sound stages where they keep the temperature down about 60 degrees or colder because they have to keep all those lights cool and they have to keep the actors cool Mm -hmm. and they have to keep everything cold. Oh, and they get to take breaks. If you ever go to a a TV show shoot, shooting, they, they, it's cold. Yeah. And the reason why everything shot on TV, they're cold because they're wearing these clothes and they're under hot lights. There has to be an equilibrium. They don't want people sweating all over the place, which is why as soon as you put on a costume, a big old, you know, you dress up as Hellboy and you <laughs> trot yourself down to San Diego Comic-Con oh in the middle of summer with yeah. ten, with 100,000 people in, stuffed into Hall H. In Southern you're California. Gonna be, you're going to have swamp balls. I mean, that's the way it is. <laughs> And that's the term. other thing about about the Doctor Who. It's all these layers and these thick wool coats. Yeah. And of course, they're shooting in England where it's cold as fuck all the time, all year yeah. round. And they're shooting outside in England in the hills and they don't in the have moors. Sun in England? No, they don't. <laughs> and they shoot on sound stages so everybody's cold. I mean, they basically shoot to the point where they can yeah. almost see their breath. I mean, and that's why these characters all wear these big thick layers and can get away with it uh-huh. because the weather's colder and the studio's cold. Mm-hmm. And cosplay is not movie shoots no it's not so you have to build that in so the question then also comes how badly do you want to look hot (laughs) because you will be hot in every sense of the word oh yeah yeah yeah. uh i think one thing a lot of people don't understand too is in movies and tv like if a character has like a set look they'll usually have four versions of the costume where it's like okay you have the main costume one then you have two three and four that you can cycle out of right so that Mm -hmm. way you know they're not wearing one the whole time and it gets you know funky smelling or Or you have one for sitting and one for standing and one for running and one for Mm -hmm. fucking and you know i mean you have all these different (laughs) and one for twirling around and getting that amazing spin we had another uh i got really fond of making neoprene costumes because neoprene shows muscle definition beautifully mm-hmm. and so i had a lot of customers who really wanted to wear it and i wanted them to wear it because it looks amazing but it is fantastically hot and I had, I think the most... Well, it's meant to insulate you underwater. It is. I mean, that's what they dive, make wetsuits out of. Scuba diving outfits, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is thinner neoprene. I don't use it that thick, mostly. Um, but I had I had a guy also Sorry. who who wanted to cosplay as uh, Black Panther. Ooh. And I made him an all-neoprene oh, outfit. All-neoprene. Bodysuit, full face mask, with no mouth hole. Wow. Um, yes. Gloves and boots. All neoprene. How did you keep him cool? I didn't. Um, (laughs) But what he did for himself is he wisely wore it only to Emerald City Con. (laughs) And it was raining. Oh, good, good. And cold. And he was just out in the rain, and he said he was fine. He was comfortable. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. The rain is, like, running off of his ridiculous muscles. Sure. You know. (laughs) (laughs) But I did, the day that we did the photo shoot, though... There was sweat coming out of the fingertips of his gloves. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. 
while he was wearing them. I don't mean like I remember I will not name names, but I remember cosplay friends of mine taking off their rubber gloves after having worn them for maybe two hours tops, which is as long as you can stand to wear one of those things at a con. Maximum. I think if I'm going to put cosplay, I'm going to go as Barbarella because you know then I'll be comfortable. <laughs> Nobody else will, but I'll be comfortable. Well, you know what? You come first. That's exactly. Right. That's, yeah. You That's should right. choose your cosplay based on what you're comfortable with, not what other people are comfortable with. Except for the thing about dance belts. Wear yeah. your effing dance belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously. Although my my Link costume was actually pretty comfy because I bought. Basically, I built it myself. I got a Peter Pan costume and modified yes. it and. Basically wore two pairs of white tights because my tattoos and leg hair would show through the regular white opaque tights. Yeah. So I got two thick, two two extra thick pairs of white dance tights, and then my tall boots, and then I had my Peter Peter Pan uh, tunic on top, and wore green underwear underneath, and I didn't have the shorts, and then I got a uh, one of those Target. Uh, uh, workout out uh, tops. Mm-hmm. The real stretchy, it's not spandex, but it's something else. It's real stretchy material. It's specifically moisture wicking oh, yeah. material yeah, for yeah. working out. It was white and it looked stark. It's like polyester, so it mm-hmm. looks stark, stark, stark white. I mean like white out, white out white. That's how white it was. Wow. Then I did gloves over the top of that or gauntlets over the top of that mm-hmm. and then took the, the Peter Pan hat, took feather out and flipped it around. Mm-hmm. Hey, presto, I'm Link. And I went and bought a Nerf sword and a, and a shield and put the little logo on it and boom, I'm, I'm Link. Link is easy to do. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. nice. It's, oh, it's yeah. nice. I helped a girl make a Link costume mm-hmm. for herself mm-hmm. once. There are so many easy costumes out there oh, that sure. people don't think about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I went as a Triana Orpheus, again, from Venture Brothers yeah. for Halloween. Well, that was, that was your wardrobe. I know. <laughs> it was just you. Much. That's you not make, a costume. Yeah, you make him. That's like when Forrest um, did a cosplay shoot as Death from Sandman Comics. Oh, I remember that. I mean... That's not a costume for Forrest. That's just what she looks like. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the exception of the little swirly yeah, thing, but yeah. only yeah. some of the time. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Easy cosplay. It's not fair, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, you, didn't you mention something else before, when we were talking before the podcast, about uh, some kind of an event that where people are getting together other than the... The, the, the bomber, bomber girls. girls. Oh, yeah, that's not an event. That's a lifestyle choice. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> an event. Uh, I thought there was some, some guy thing or something, or... You're going to have to give me more than that. There's a lot of events. I don't remember. Uh, it was I what know. we were talking about right before we pulled into the restaurant. There oh, was... Oh, I remember. There was yeah. silks. Uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. This is awkward. There's, there's lots of events. I can tell you, this is not an event. Well, it will be an event. Um, Kitty mentioned silks, and I want to talk about that really quickly. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's talking about aerial silks, which is a circus art, mm-hmm. uh, an acrobatic art that I've recently become quite enamored of. Mm-hmm. And I decided to cross it over into cosplay. Interesting. By dressing up as Harley Quinn and doing an acrobatic routine. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah I love I'm, this. I love silking. I think it's really, really, really... So I've seen that at a lot of fetish so clubs and stuff. The, the, the clubs that we talked about oh. that I used to show at, like Club Hell and oh. other places like that. They did a lot of things where they'd put the ring way up high yeah. and the silk and she would just go up and tumble and climb yeah. up and come down and tumble and... 
Yeah. I've only seen it at Cirque du Soleil, but oh, um, but it's actually no, that's not true. It's getting more prevalent in uh, club and theatrical yeah, type yeah. settings. Yeah. They've had a silk um, people come to ruin and perform. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they do it at Labyrinth of Jareth every oh, year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which if you're in LA, you must go to. You I must. Mean, yeah. Um. So that's. I know I'm not the first person to do this. There's actually, there is a circus troupe that does cosplay circus, and that's what they do. Um, right. But I. I really like the idea of taking cosplay into another dimension, so I'm really looking forward to doing that. I've the one piece I would really like to get some have somebody make at some point is I, when I was 15, everybody started wearing trench coats because I kind of <sighs> went goth. And this is in 1985, way before Columbine ruined trench coats for everybody. Columbine and did back not when, ruin trench coats. Well, but I, <laughs> to, but only te- temporarily. But tell that to London Fog and other companies that make oh, you know okay. trench coats. They're I'm all sorry, down London just Fog. below. They're all just below the knees now. They can't. They don't do the ankle length ones anymore. And that's really? because of Columbine. Yeah. God damn. I know. Stupid I have. Terrorists. I found a London Fog. Down to my an ankle length London fog double breasted olive drab raincoat for fifteen dollars at at uh, at uh, Goodwill in Eagle Rock years ago. So I was very happy with that. I still wear it on rainy nice. days. Yeah. What I would really like when I was fifteen, I I wanted a trench coat. And my mom picked one up at the flea market. Some guy was selling his, and this was a custom made, tailor made rather I should say. Mm-hmm. It was a tailor made suit material trench coat that meant to be worn as a dress oh, as dress coat over a suit right um that was made at a, at a tailor's in boulder in colorado and was found at the flea market and i wore that thing to death i still have it yeah. way too small for me now the sh- under under one of the shoulders is completely ripped out and i've had it re-sewn several times and it still rips out what i would like to do is with the measurements that i am now is get a longer full-length black um suit material trench coat made and you can't buy them anywhere you have to have them made talk to melissa um, yeah yeah a lot of us are going to be throwing money at melissa yes, myself yeah. included everybody well, once we get the house melissa. going and once galley is done <laughs> galley is this weekend speaking of cosplay get a, oh. the big gallifrey one convention something to xp will be at the gallifrey one convention at least i will be and i will be uh, uh, hopefully getting a few podcasts going this weekend but nice um actually this uh, episode will go up at the weekend after galley, so it would have oh, been nice. last weekend. Okay. So, um, cool. but um, yeah, so there's going to be lots of cosplay. Ahoy. And my choice this year for cosplay, because since I actually work at the convention, I'm my, I'm a, the kind of the minder, the custodian of a panel room. Uh, and I've tried the cosplay thing before. One year I brought a whole bunch of costumes, one for each day, and I was absolutely miserable because I'm standing around in one place, and there's you know it's down oh. in the basement of a hotel, and and it's that whole thing again of these costumes are all very layered. And, and <laughs> the third, I brought carefully. my suit mm-hmm. to be the master on the third day and didn't do it. And I just mm-hmm. went in shorts and t-shirt. Yeah. So I've incorporated shorts and t-shirt into cosplay because now I have my lovely Peter Capaldi uh, 12th Doctor Yay. costume t-shirt. Which that is, coat is fantastic, by uh, the way. Yeah. Such oh, a great yeah. costume oh, choice. All, yeah. That outfit he has, has is even though it's one of the simpler Doctor Who outfits, it's the most expensive Doctor Doctor Who outfit ever made because every single piece that he wears is some kind of custom couture item. And that coat is 1,200 pounds. That coat is 1,200 pounds. It's, it's, it's a very light, it's a very light, thin, gabardine coat and it's, uh, that's midnight blue and the, the lining is real silk. The red mm-hmm. lining is real silk. The, um, 
the shirt he wears, the cardigan he wears is a couture is a is a is a designer piece. The on the occasions when he's not wearing the cardigan and he wears the other sweater with the little holes pricked in it, that's one particular guy's style of design of oh, jumper. Man. It has part of the neck cut out. Yeah. And it's actually sewn on the ends. It's not just so cut this out. This is like couture, like this high is fashion. couture Doctor yeah. Who. He's wearing real Doctor Martin made in UK, real mm-hmm. Doctor Martin boots, and those are about three hundred pounds on their own. Yeah. The pants he's wearing is again the same designer. He went out shopping for two weeks with the costume designer and they went and handpicked pieces and pieces and pieces. And all the shirts are the same uh, the same one, the button up shirts that he wears. Those white shirts, but then he wears that. He'll wear the the pullover sweater. Yeah, it's actually a hoodie. He wears a hoodie, and it has part of the neck out and those little holes snipped in the in in the weave, and then the ends are burned so they don't fray. The, they're singed, and but they're little holes, and it looks like a little star pattern or something oh on his on it. If you look on certain episodes, the listen episode was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a it's a jumper. It's a it's a jumper, and then he has a hoodie, and then he has a cardigan. But it's all really, really high-end, expensive stuff. And I think yeah. the whole outfit all together, if you were go to and buy re- retail in UK, in your size, we're talking like three or 4,000 pounds. Oh, God. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But you know what? It's not... Just to warn you all, um, we don't make our costumes for cheap. No, no. <laughs> so... I will say right now, because I've had to say this to a lot of people, after I made that Arkham City Catwoman, I had a lot of requests for it, and no one else has bought it since because it is not cheap. Mm -hmm. We ended up charging about $2,500 for that costume. Which is, but you know, you get what you pay for. Sure, Absolutely. you do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. your skills you are definitely worth it. And I'm sure yes. Melissa's skills are definitely worth Melissa's it. The same way, are. like, anybody's, yeah. you know, skills are worth it. Yeah. So... I strongly encourage everyone, though, to go out and develop their skills because, you know, you can, first of all. It's only a matter of how badly you want to. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you know, it's it's going to cost. Right. <laughs> it's going to cost a lot. I will make you a costume, maybe. Yeah. But it, I will charge accordingly for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've also got my fourth Doctor outfit that has the, uh, the, the yellow uh, tweed vest. Yeah, and and the uh, the long cravat or not cravat, but the uh, the uh, short. He wears a neck a neck scarf in addition to the big long multicolored scarf. He wears a, a like a kerchief almost a long kerchief. Um, so the t shirt is that. But then I have my own scarf. And then this weekend we went out co- uh, costume shopping and stuff. Yesterday um, uh, in the valley, I bought a I bought a hat for forty five dollars of a, a fedora. Nice. Like as I said, if you turn in a quarter turn. You can take a regular Indiana Jones fedora, turn it a quarter turn, flop the left-hand side down, and you've got a fourth doctor hat. I think that the uh, importance of hitting thrift stores first and oh, trying to find yeah. pieces like yeah. at a thrift store cannot yeah. be understated. Or yeah. costume stores that sell their rentals. Yeah. Because I was originally yeah. going to look at a costume store in Valencia that has, uh, up near where I live, that has, um, they, they sell their rentals. And they had a hat, but they sold it at Christmas, so I couldn't get it. Oh, I think that the important thing also is that we have to remember we are very blessed to live in Los Angeles. Oh, sure. You can Absolutely. Get there are costume companies here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a town that had no costume no, shops of any kind. No, no. And, you know, I had to figure out how to make things sure. out of nothing. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. It, it's definitely good for your brain and it's mm-hmm. definitely good for your self esteem. And, you know, sometimes even 
even here in LA, sometimes you find yourself in a tight spot where you can't get to the things mm-hmm. and you need to make something. Yeah. And you have to think, how can I create this thing out of, how can I MacGyver this into existence? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. one of the things that we're blessed with here is a lot of the big movie studios will dump their stuff at thrift stores. Like, yeah. the Goodwills around Hollywood are a great place to look because it's yeah. like, oh, they just got rid of everything from, you know, every movie from last year. Right. Yeah, but totally. The downs- bank and, yeah. 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 That and the fact that we have all these supporting industries. I mean, you can go places to get the latex, get the rubber, get the mm. resin to cast sure. your things sure. here. Easily. It's down the street. I was looking it up on the internet because I was just in the mindset of that's what I have to do. And then I realized the company that I needed to order from was local. I could just drive over and get the thing that I needed. Yeah. You know, but not everyone can do that. And then that's when Home Depot is your friend. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be Home Depot. It can be any hardware store. Mm -hmm. I've used furniture coasters to create, you know, emblems for costumes, for belts and things. You know, I mean, the sky is the limit. You figure things out. Yeah. When you want to. Yeah. Yogurt lids. Sure, sure. We're over an hour 20, so what are, what are, what's out rambled. right now? Yeah, oh, no, that's all right. That's <laughs> all part of the whole thing. Um, what uh, What's out, or what have you seen or read or listened to or anything lately that you're recommending? Uh, not much, because I'm a school teacher now. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I don't know, for, for the geek community, I would just like to say, I think that we need to get... I would like to critique our our culture a little bit because we have some pretty great TV shows, you know, now that the world is catering to our geeky needs Mm -hmm, in a way that they didn't used to. But I think that people are getting lazy, and I I commonly feel that way about American entertainment. The Brits are fine. They're making beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have a lot of, even in the geek culture, and we have to be really careful about this, we have a lot of entertainment that teaches bad behavior, even now, even like Arrow, yeah, the TV show. I'm sorry, it's wonderful in many ways, but it teaches some very poor behavior, and I really want to smack people who are picking up on that behavior. And I really want to smack the people who put that in the show in the first mm-hmm. place, because by contrast, you know, when we're making entertainment for children, I think we're a lot more responsible oh, because yeah. we're yeah. thinking about what we're teaching them. The problem is adults are still learning too, and very rarely does anyone think about I think, what they're teaching adults in their entertainment. So you Mm -hmm. have Arrow, where people are acting really irresponsibly because the plot calls for there to be drama. And to have drama, you have to have conflict. And to have the drama continue, you have to sustain the conflict. Mm -hmm. So people are having stupid conflicts Mm -hmm. that just don't get resolved because they're both being douchebags Mm. for long periods of time. You know, I mean, you have people who are thinking of how can I punish the person who hurt my feelings? How can I make people understand that I'm angry with them? Whereas by contrast, by wonderful, wonderful, shiny, awesome contrast, you have the Justice League Unlimited show, Mm -hmm. which is for Mm -hmm. children and consequently teaches wonderful behavior but it's still fun and Mm -hmm. funny and sarcastic and great people we can have fun and and be well behaved so i would just like to recommend that whatever you're watching or reading or consuming question how those characters are how heroic are they really always being right they may be running out and like beating up bad guys and saving the world but how are they making the world a better place in their or are personal... Or they constantly just shitting on each other. In their personal <laughs> relationships. Yeah. Yeah. In personal relationships, we make so much more of an impact on the world than we realize. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah. be a better superhero, you guys. Yeah. Be 
be responsible. Be a better human being. Think about how you're impacting the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I pray that our entertainment becomes a little bit more responsible in terms of the social behaviors that it teaches. Cool. Yeah. Are you recommending anything right now, Kitty? Oh, yeah. Um, the new Rice Cop album is amazing. Oh, my God. It's it's beautiful. It's brilliant. Go pick it up. Uh, as far as, like, non you know, music-related things. I'm really loving Agent Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, Agent Carter's good. Yeah. We've been watching that, too. It's <laughs> good. Know. It's good. I, I love it. Especially for an ABC primetime right, right. show. And, like, she's the most capable person on the show, and, yes, it's set in the 40s, and she has to deal with sexism, but, like, she is the most capable person. She's the smartest. She's the one solving problems. Like, she's mm. out there. She's doing it. And there were actually women um, in World War II who did the kind of like Agent Carter sort of roles, you know? So I think it's leading a lot of people to that history. I keep seeing like articles sure. about that on BuzzFeed sure. and Mashable. Nice. Like, sure. this is the real, you know, like Agent Carter, like blah, blah, blah. So it's opening up people's eyes to that aspect of history that they may not have seen before. My one critique of the show is that there are not a lot of people of color. And I hear the excuse that, oh, it's the 40s, and, you know, like, if we put them in there, they'd have to be, like, maids or in the service industry. And I think that's a cop-out. Like, it's not like black people and Latino people and Asian people were somehow invented in the 1950s. Like, you can have them in there. You can have them, you know, in roles that aren't demeaning. Like, what about all the translators, you know, who were, mm-hmm. like, working in World mm-hmm. War II to translate mm-hmm. Japanese. Like, mm-hmm. what about yeah. all of the black servicemen and women who were working? What about all the Latino like right. service people? Like, you can put people mm-hmm. of color in Agent Carter and not have their roles be stupid or demeaning or stereotypical. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's my one critique, and well, I just the, wanted to say yeah, that. The, the, yeah, the, the, the one answer, I mean, it, it is very, very, very true that government agencies were white me, white dudes. I mean, government mm-hmm. uh, intelligence agencies, FBI, CIA, blah, 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 yeah. during the during the 30s, 40s, 50s, in, in NSA, various, mm-hmm. various um, uh, um, uh, you know, permutations thereof throughout mm-hmm. that time, it was 99% white males. Right. But... This is a made-up show. This mm-hmm. is a, a show that's a, an invention, a, a creation, mm-hmm. that even though it is, is of a time period, they can do whatever the hell they want well, to with it. you know, yeah. and you have, like, um, like I said, you have service people of color in their own divisions. Like, there were the Tuskegee Airmen yep, yep, in World yep, War II. They yep, were all yep. black. You could have, you know, Peggy Carter interact with, like, an all-black unit or, you know, maybe, like, uh, an all-female, you know, unit comprised mm-hmm. of women of color. You there bet. were also yep. nurses and doctors yep. and also just even background characters. Just throw some people of color in there. Again, it's not like we were invented in the 1950s. We were here. We existed. You could even have some of the girls at the house she lives in, you know, mm-hmm. be women of mm-hmm. color. Because right mm-hmm. now, like... All the women in the house are white, and like whenever I see group scenes, it it weirds me out because it doesn't reflect the reality of both the time period or mm-hmm. even the modern day. So, if anybody casting on Agent Carter is listening, just all you have to do, like maybe five or six girls, like at you know Peggy Carter's Pepper like in, yeah yeah, yeah um, mm-hmm. apartment, just 
put him in there in some of the shots. Like, that's all you have to do. It's not I, that I, hard. My, my grandmother did live in a, uh, a woman's hotel mm-hmm. um, for a time, and she said it was it, there was a policy, no colors, no juice. And that's, Whoa. that's the way oh, things were in, the, in, in cities and stuff. And, yeah. And that's... So it, they are being reflective of that time period. They mm-hmm. really are being true to that, but yeah. they don't have to be. Exactly. They don't have to be. They are making a choice, and, and I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, um, yeah, in a lot of the roles, the types of roles, the types of characters with the types of jobs that we are seeing on that show, yeah, the vast majority of those people in reality of that time were white men. Yeah. But... They can do whatever they want with it. Going back to the Brits, I think Torchwood uh, handled it well. There was that one episode where they go uh, back in time. Yep. It was Jack Harkness, and I can't remember her name, um, but they're in like uh, World War II England. Tosh. Yeah. Tashiko. Yeah, and everybody's looking at Tosh. Who's going to be like, a Gallifrey this, nice. this week? Yeah. Everybody was looking at her like, what is she doing here? And Jack just grabs her, and he's just like, thanks to Tosh, you know, we've decoded this Japanese message, blah, blah, blah. Everybody raise a glass to her. And then yep. it's like, oh, okay. They dealt with it. Yeah. And they dealt, yeah. They, they worked it they in. They did it beautifully. Yes. Like, that was a historically accurate way to deal with it, and it wasn't racist, and it showed that, like, she was a hero who was helping the cause. So, again, it can be done. Yeah. They've done that throughout throughout uh, Russell Davis's time writing, and uh, the helicopters are now circling the building. So yeah. we're uh, welcome to be, Hollywood. We're, we're going to be ar- arrested very shortly. Um, <laughs> throughout Russell Davis's tenure at Doctor Who and through Torchwood, he worked those real life things in, well, and he brought those things to the forefront. You always saw characters that were not straight. You always mm-hmm. saw characters that were women, that were of people of color, that yeah. were of different species, that were of different this and that and the other thing. And he yeah. worked, found ways to work those in. Talking about uh, the episode, um, and I can't remember it right now, but the the Doctor John Smith episode with the Doctor and Martha, mm-hmm. where he goes back in time and erases his own memory, yeah. and she's working as a maid in the school where he's being a teacher, mm-hmm. and she's talking about being a doctor, and they're just like, "Wait, you're you're basically a black woman. You can't be a doctor. What are you talking about? You know?" And they, but they dealt with it, and she mm-hmm. said, "But I am. I'm for, from the future. Here's mm-hmm. the here's the." the bones and the finger blah, blah. Right. say that there was a way to work you know to work that and they did work it and they did yeah. confront it and they did the Russell Davis was really good at I that. know a lot of the Doctor Who fandom like you know worships at the altar of Stephen Moffat but honestly Russell T. Davies oh, is my way, favorite way, way, writer yeah, on yeah, Doctor yeah, Who yeah, like too. I wish he would just take over again well mm. he they keep he keeps inviting Russell Davis to come back and, and Russell says eh, I'm, I'm done I'm, I, I want did my to Doctor believe I want him to come back so yeah. badly yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, there was actually an interesting little exchange between the two of them in some magazine and, and mm-hmm. about certain aspects of the Doctor and certain little little points of this and that about why is this thing a certain way and, and Russell Davis going, yeah, but... And, 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 and Moffat going, yeah, but... And they had this kind of little little friendly tete-a-tete inside the magazine. <laughs> it was cute. The thing that I'm recommending right now is um, we just finished... Series 2 of The Fall And if you've ever been an X-Files fan If you've ever seen anything that Gillian Anderson has ever been in This is the most astounding, incredible Amazing work she has ever done I have never seen Gillian Anderson Act to the degree that she is Acting as she does in The Fall It is absolutely outstanding Season 2 drags a little bit And meanders a little bit um, series one is a lot more um, a lot more cohesive and a lot more 
uh, engaging from moment to moment. Um, but it's a brilliant series. It's all on Netflix. If you've got a Netflix account, it's basically free for you. Go watch it. Unfortunately, right now, Netflix is in the process of pulling a lot of BBC stuff. Doctor Who's going away. Uh, Torchwood's going away. There's some other big show. that uh, Red Dwarf is going away. A lot of the old BBC stuff they're, they've lost the license on and they're giving up. So, um, you know, get it while you can. Uh, yeah. I thought it might have been the end of January, maybe end of February that that stuff's going away. But at least while you have it, watch The Fall. It's incredible. So and again, it's one of those great British series where you have people of all different colors and all different everything. Yeah. Brit- Brit- British media culture has become kind of colorblind yeah. and it's great. Yeah. yeah, colorblind in a good way. In a good way. That's yes. what I mean. In, yes. a, in a good way. In, a good in way. the fact that you go in and you see a, an office and there's people of all and nobody thinks mm-hmm. about it, nobody talks about it. There's somebody who's gay, there's somebody who's... It's a reflection of society yeah. and the fact that we all go and deal with people at work every day no yeah. matter who they are where they come from or whatever's going on mm-hmm. and, it, and it's much better than the way America there's a quote um, from Seth MacFarlane not Seth MacFarlane Family Guy but Seth MacFarlane of Spawn you know somebody, Todd MacFarlane uh, Todd, Todd MacFarlane. That, yes thank you um, there's Sorry, a quote uh, yeah I fail whatever yeah, that's right. okay. um, there's a quote from uh, Todd MacFarlane you know like uh, somebody asked him like oh why did you make this character black and he's like because sometimes people are black yeah exactly. <laughs> and that's the best answer yep, sometimes exactly. people exactly. are black the way sometimes people are Asian the way sometimes people are white the way sometimes people are Latino etc etc Abby, plug your stuff. Where can people find you online? I mean, I know you're not doing cosplay anymore, but you're a teacher yeah. now. But if they want to, you know, talk. Um, if you want, if you that. want to talk to me or to Melissa, you can find us at Cape and Cal Creations on Facebook. We don't actually have a real website because why would we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, Ain't nobody got time for that. No. We got costumes to do. Come on, we got costumes to make. Sometimes we post pictures. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much where Cape and Cowl exists. Melissa has a shop on Etsy, which is the Corset Carriage. Okay. And you should definitely check it out. We'll put a link for that. Yes. All right. Um, I am at St. Michael on Twitter. That's S-A-Y-N-T-M-Y-K-L. Kitty? I am at Kitty Brown on Twitter. K-I-T-T-Y-B-R-O-W-N. Um, you can also find my graphic design work at kittybrowndesigns.com. You can find us online as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook and Google+. Check out our blog and listen to past episodes, please, on WordPress. Get those numbers up. Email us at Something2XP at gmail.com. And remember, as the helicopters fly overhead, please be kind. The Something Something Experience podcast was conceived and produced by Michael John Simpson. This week's co-host was Kitty Brown. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Ciceri. You can find us everywhere online as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, WordPress, and YouTube. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and Google+. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.